0: i just record this because i can right uh, now we go on to this idea that uh, yeah. so uh, now can we say that they don't hurt us right theoretically they don't hurt us but then the question is if we get attached to ideas without examining them i think we might be at one point of time we might feel that we have been let down we get Attracted to certain ideas and certain people also and then we find that those things don't uh, prove useful or uh, They have got their limitations, right? So the idea of course with dialoguing with the classics is that they're actually taking you back to a time and They're saying things but you can test it out with your own uh, Understanding of the world or empirical knowledge of the world as they say because however you have learnt Latin and Greek. You can speak a different language. Do you fancy yourself as uh, of a different order of beings from those you ordinarily converse with? They perhaps know and can do more things than you, though you have learned a great variety of names to express the same thing. By the great object, indeed, of these studies is to be a cure for a narrow and selfish spirit, and to carry the mind out of its petty and local prejudices to the idea of a more general humanity, right? So the idea of reading the classics is to make you broad-minded, to make uh, people liberal, to make liberal in not in the uh, sense of liberal as capitalist, right, but liberal as a uh, Catholic in taste, that is having a wide range of tastes, right? Uh, yeah and not to be narrow-minded to look at other people's point of view and think of a doubt about the other people right yeah that's the one of the most important things uh, especially in India today when we have this kind of negative ideas of the farmers protest we have uh, negative negative of the Muslims the Dalits and anybody who is not like us we are we actually look for ways of bashing them up right that's particularly true not only about India but the whole world right at this point of time, and I don't know why we've been so uh, kind of insensitive about the other people, right? In the past it was just women, right? Then we became more sensitive to the idea of the gays, the lesbians and all those kind of people, right? That's on a world scale, right? And then uh, in India, we're still uh, battling with uh, Islamophobia, not battling at all, right? Yeah, so that's one. And then the, the Dalits also are somebody who are thought about as the other. The that is and the tribals of India these are thought about as the other and they don't and they can't enter into our mainstream at all. Right? Yeah? Uh, so that's something that's very sad but uh, we have to first begin to think about it. Yeah? Do not fancy because you are intimate with Homer and Virgil that your neighbors who can never attain the same posthumous fame as uh, to be despised like those impudent valets who live in noble families and look down upon everyone else, right? So just because you know Homer and Virgil, okay, uh, you have not to despise other people because uh, you might think that you're very educated, right? And of course, the interesting thing about it is, all those people who read Homo and Virgil are uh, actually people who think about other people and they think about how the world actually exists, right? Yeah. So, uh, in fact, I think we go back to Don Quixote, and uh, Don Quixote is interesting because he knows the right forms of language, right? And in the text, in the Spanish text, you have a lot of people who speak wrong. Or dialectical Spanish, right? And uh, what Don Quixote does is he understands where they're coming from and he knows the right form, but he can uh, go down to their level and understand what they're trying to say, right? Uh, That's, of course, one critic who's talking about the language of Don Quixote, right? Uh, Though you are master of Cicero's original. Yes. Yes. From where is the letter? The letter? Yeah, please. You want to read? Yeah, please, go ahead. Though you are master of
1: Sikero's collation, huh. think it possible for a cobbler at a store to be more eloquent than you? Yeah. Go ahead. But you are caught up, and he is not. Well, then you have advantage over hmm. But it does not follow that you are to have every other.
2: Hmm.
1: Look at the heads of you so, at the heads of the celebrated poets and philosophers of antiquity to the collection and Wilton. And you will say they answer to their words, but you will find others in the same collection whose names have hardly come down to That are equally fun and fed and cast in the same classic mode. Do you imagine that all the thoughts, genius and capacity of those old and mighty nations are compared in to be found
0: by schoolboys. This yeah, is yeah. not... okay, right. okay, 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 reader, yeah, yeah, reader. This, <laughs> this reflection is not meant to lessen your admiration for great names
1: to which you will be accustomed to look up. But to direct its to a solid mass of intellect and power, of which they are the more shining not. I would wish you to accept this short of learning and to take a pleasure because it is the path that has been chosen for you. But do not suppose that others do not excel equally in the line of study or exercise of skill. Or that there is but no one more of excellence in art or nature. You have gotten vastly beyond you have on vastly beyond the point at which we set out. But others have been getting on as well as you in the same or other way and have kept peace with you. What time, you may ask, is the use of all the plans you have taken? If it gives you no superiority over mankind things are like done. It is this, you have with all the benefit of improvement and knowledge of that. And further, if you had not moved forward, you would by this time have been left behind. And with, no one, disparate no one, think, think yourself about no one. The demerits. The demerits, demerits, demerits. Demerits.
0: Demerits.
1: Okay. Their demerits will not be out of your Nor it is a waste of time and labor for you to cultivate your own talents. Because you cannot be a monopoly of all adversaries. You are more learned than many of our actual types. You, you may be more active, healthy, witty. Successful in business or expert in some elegant or useful art, ending. but you have no reason to complain if you have attained the object of your ambition, or if you should not be able to compass this from a bond of genius or path yet love, my child, to be content, contented with a mediocre of a, at a, You must still be respectable in your position and enjoy a of Opportunity with more friends and fewer enemies than you might otherwise
0: have. Yeah. Now, this is a kind of transitional phase. First of all, he is glorifying the classics at one level, as we saw, right? And he's talking about dialoguing with the people of a different age, right? Which is important, right? Because that's how, at one level, tradition is maintained, and also a lot of change takes place, right? So when you read Plato, you'll find that Plato is talking about a lot of contemporary things. And at the same time, you find that Plato is uh, called a classic as far as philosophy is concerned, right? And there are people who read Plato as religion, right? Instead of questioning and reading him uh, as a philosopher, right? So that's something else that you might uh, think about, right? Now you might know Homer and Virgil. And uh, every time you read a classic, you get a great feeling, right? You feel that you've achieved something. And I don't know if you've uh, felt that, but I do, right? Yeah? So when you read a classic or you read a novel and you feel, well, I've read the novel and I'm feeling great that I've gone through it, right? And all all human beings would do that, right? And anybody who reads a novel uh, would struggle to get, many of us struggle to get to the end of it, right? And read it. And then when you finish it, you feel that, well, I must go back to it and read it again. Right? Yeah? So that's the way it is if you're really into trying to study and understand uh, a classic. Right? But he's also saying that, look, there are people who have different pro- professions. Right? And don't think that you are great because of your scholarly kind of reading of the classics. Right? Yeah? Because that's one kind of learning. Yeah? And the idea is, it should not shut you off from other forms of knowledge systems, right? And if it shuts you off from all the kinds of other forms of knowledge systems, it actually means that this kind of education is a failure, right? Okay, so learning the classics should actually make you or take you to the idea of other human beings who you might think are lower than you, but you can't even think anybody is lower than you. Because we look at different skills and different uh, endowments that people have, right? Yeah, and uh, the question of what do people achieve in life, right? Different people achieve different things, right? And uh, if you look at everybody's kind of knowledge system, right? Like, for instance, in India, we have all sorts of castes of different uh, and different kinds of people, right? So, you look at their knowledge systems and what they have with it. Then, right, yeah, and these are not written down, also, right, and uh, that's for all people all over the world, right. But when you look at the knowledge systems which have been passed on traditionally or otherwise, right, yeah, it actually means that uh, these are things that philosophy and science and all these things that we study haven't taken uh, or haven't taken the trouble to talk about it. Today, of course, many more people are taking up some unusual kinds of uh, subjects, right? And they're trying to find out what happens to to knowledges that are not being documented, right? Yeah? So we're talking about how do the Dalits survive in spite of not being uh, treated as part of society, right? Now that's a kind of a knowledge system that needs to be mined, right? Yeah? And um, Dalits and non-Dalits have to work on it, right? Yeah? So that's something uh, that is important, right? So, because when we are talking about knowledge systems, uh, we are we are talking about the idea of uh, a different kind of knowledge system, right? So, at one level, yes, we say that the classics are great, yeah? But at the other level, the people are also working in skills and contemporary skills are equally important, right? And that's what is, this paragraph is saying, right? Yeah? And it's, he's talking about merits and demerits and that's a kind of a uh, uh, very futile exercise, right? Because uh, when you learn other people's skills and you take other people at your own level, right? Your The classics are, are something that make you uh, better, right? They make you more liberal, right? That's what is said in the earlier paragraph. And now in this part of the paragraph, he's talking about how this changes us. And if he. Uh, think too highly of ourselves because we know the auditory you we know homo or any of these people right yeah uh, how does it cut you off from them right and if it cuts you off then it's a sad and sorry business and it's better that you don't you didn't learn all these things at all right yeah and that's exactly what's happening today right not really with learn, uh, learning but it's happening with what you call gated communities right where you have a township where you keep beggars out. You keep people you don't want out, right? And of course, it, it's also becoming castes and classes in India, right? And when we, oh, when you what we talk about in linguistics, we talk about ghettoization, right? Yeah. So we keep people in by different uh, uh, racial, uh, ethnic, and linguistic, uh, uh, r- linguistic and religious kinds of ghettos, right? And the ghetto. The word ghetto comes. From the Jewish settlements, right, uh, of slavery in uh, Egypt, right. So you get the idea of the ghetto, and the ghetto now now means uh, the American kids, right, African American kids. Uh, that's before in the, before the 60s, right. So the idea of the ghetto is again important, and ghettoization is when you try to keep people out, and you try to make people go back into their kind of uh, uh, positions right and that's something that there was a social worker from the philosophy department who came and gave us a lecture once and she was working for the post riot victims of 2002 right and she was talking about how 2002 makes people who are non-practicing Muslims uh, go and shift into Muslim localities because Uh, of all the people who do not let them function and do not let them live as uh, in any other parts of the city, right, yeah. So when somebody doesn't even want to uh, adhere to an identity, identity, an identity is shoved upon them, right. And that's exactly what you call ghettoization, right. And uh, she was actually working with a lot of women and she says, well, a lot of them were very, very upset because at one level, they, they didn't want to live in their communities. They wanted an independent identity. They wanted to be uh, just like anybody else, without a tag of religion on them, right? And because of whatever happened in 2002, they're forced to be conservative and go and live in the ghetto and fall into the line of all the people who and uh, the customs that they didn't want, right? Yeah. So that's uh, what you call ghettoization and. Uh, Ghettoization is a linguistic phenomenon, for one, right, but it's also a cultural phenomenon, right, and the idea is uh, uh, many people don't like to be ghettoized, right, yeah, and uh, because when you ghettoize people, they do not interact with many other people from different uh, communities and cultures, right, so the idea is cosmopolitanism versus uh, what you call uh, uh, ghettoization, right, yeah. So, uh, uh, how many people would like to live with your own community, right? Yeah? And uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if any modern people would like to live only in their community. Their neighbors are all of the same religion and all of the same caste and speaking the same language, right? Then it becomes very claustrophobic, right? Yeah, and I would think that I would never be very happy over there And any of those kind of things. First of all, uh, I'm always against the... Uh, the group I belong to or the community I belong to, the religion I belong to and I i have all these problems with all that kind of issue, right? So how many people would actually be happy in living in a ghetto, right? Yeah? And uh, at, least, uh, at least, for one, you might get a sense of security or a false sense of security by living in your own uh, ghetto, right? But... Uh, it's harder to live outside the ghetto. Right? Yeah? And once you live outside the ghetto, it's very hard to go back and live in a ghettoized kind of community. Right? So that's exactly what it's talking about over here. And we have these people who think that they're scholars, they think they're academics, they think all those things and they don't mix with the common people. Right? And that's uh, very interestingly, Hazlitt is saying that that's a problem. Right? Yeah? And we must remember that when he's saying all this, we go back to the leech gatherer and we're talking about Wordsworth saying, what do I learn from the leech gatherer, right? What do I learn from Lucy Gray? What do I learn from the solitary reaper? What do I learn from people who are uh, not as fortunate as me or quite different from me, right? And can I actually learn something from them, right? So the classical learning, is one kind of learning and only one kind of learning. Right. And that's exactly w- what the problem is also in India. Right. I remember Professor Y.V. Ramakrishnan was telling us how in early modern India that uh, he was talking about Kerala and he was talking about how when the uh, the UPSC and the IS systems took place. Right. It's not uh, the upper caste that the Brahmins who got uh, jobs. In the government, right, because they were skeptical of the new systems of learning, right, and you actually found that uh, people who are uh, maybe a, a lower caste, right, uh, lower than the Brahmins or not Brahmins, yeah, occupied the majority of uh, uh, seats in the uh, in the UPSC, right, yeah, or the IS or whatever that is, right, yeah, and yeah, so the the idea is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have this, a certain kind of approach to things, right? And uh, we get stuck over there, right? And that's not a good idea and that's what the letter is saying, right? So how do we get out of our ghettoization? How do we get out of our conservative positions, right? And at one level, the classics certainly help, right? So I'm not uh, and that's what he's saying and I don't think that's not uh, uh, true, Right? Yeah, at the other level, if he's saying, and he's talking about a balance between uh, the idea of studying the classics and contemporary living, right? And you might read this book, Outcast, where you have this uh, story of uh, this person who they let a Bra- uh, a Dalit boy in, right, to the school, but he's not allowed to come in. He has to stay on the porch outside and study, right? So that's that's very sad but that's the way it was done. The same thing happened with uh, uh, K.R. Narayanan, who was uh, probably the best president that we ever had in India, right? And he also was brought up in the same manner, right? That is, here to study outside the class because of the very conservative kind of atmosphere that you had, right? So uh, the thing is, uh, of course, uh, in the novel, uh, you uh, there is this uh, uh, the grandfather of the family or the, the father of the family right and he says well you can't just teach him traditional uh, kind of stuff right You have to teach him a job uh, a, a, a kind of uh, learning where he can get a job and work right yeah so the idea of knowledge, knowledge for its sake, knowledge for use, right? So all these things come in, right? Of course, the idea of knowledge in in a very conservative manner or traditional manner is when you talk about education, education is for itself. It's not for use, right? Of course, what we have today is education only for use, right? And that's why people want to get uh, the maximum amount of marks. They want uh, a degree and that's what sells. So we actually come to the universities not to learn, but just to get a degree, right? Yeah, or and get on to the job after that. So the idea of usefulness has become the priority and uh, uh, learning has got a backseat, right? And that maybe it's more in some cases and less in other cases, right? So the idea of utilitarian learning or utilitarianism is spread out into the universities, and of course, the person who comes up with it first, uh, talking about use value, is a man called Plato, who we just talked about, right? Yeah, if you want, we can go on. Any questions over there about the paragraph, any questions, things that I've not uh, uh, elaborated on? Yeah? Right? Yeah. yeah. So he's talking about the monopoly of all advantages, right? And that's exactly what happens in India. And actually, it's in the world, right? The, the so-called educated people have an edge over the other people, right? Uh, as far as economy is concerned, as far as political uh, systems are concerned, right? And that's something that uh, you begin to feel very uncomfortable about, right? So, especially if you are sensitive about the other people, and then you come to know that, well, I've learned this, I've learned that, I'm getting a job, I'm getting so much money, right, and this person is working so hard and they don't get anywhere, right, yeah, and that's what we see, and that's what we see in life, right, some people have to work and work and work, and some people, without working, right, get, uh, get all the benefits of everything, right, largely the people are so-called elite people, right, yeah, and every society breeds it on own kind of elites, right, and, uh, yeah, so you get this kind of equal unequal an society and he's saying well don't think that you're great because you've read the classics don't think you're great because you know cicero and Virgil and all those kind of things right of course i would say that anybody who knows them and knows them by heart is great yeah just like you have uh hamlet in the play hamlet reciting seneca and all those kind of things right yeah and at that point of time if you recite in seneca that means you would be great, right? And today if you recite Shakespeare, right? Or Dickens or Shaw, right? Then people will say, well, uh, you're learned, right? And they will have some regard for you, right? Yeah? So that's something else. But the question is, just because we have that, that doesn't mean that we have everything, right? And just, uh, and the next paragraph actually goes on to elaborate upon it, right? So the idea of intellectual knowledge qualification intellectual knowledge and a kind of classic uh, reading of the classics is one thing the practical world or the empirical world and how the empirical world uh, actually operates is another right so we're talking about the real world the bookish world and we're talking about the in between where the mind is actually taking on things that they learn in this world and in that world and we're living in all such worlds at one point of time right yeah you live in a world where we uh, deal with a cobbler, he says over here, right? And we find out how to deal with him, and we also go and shift our minds to study, right? You shift your mind to learning a language, you shift your mind to learning mathematics, right? And in the real world, you do a lot of things that are not what is called scholarly per se. You clean your house up, right? Um, uh, You do some exercise, you play music, right? All those kind of things are things that are to make everybody into a whole person right so he's saying don't be limited open your mind don't get stuck yeah can we go on
2: excuse me sir yes, yes.
0: I yes. yeah somebody else is saying something. yes uh, excuse me yeah
2: sir, uh, my doubt is in the mm-hmm. last eight line mm-hmm. it is uh, the uh, author uh, Hazlitt has written, "You have reaped all the benefit of improvement and knowledge yourself, and further, if you had not moved forward, you would by this time have been left behind." I do not clearly get the idea that if he would not have read the classics, does that mean that he would have been left behind just because he's not read classics? He could have learned something else. He could have learned some other skill. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You, you have reaped, the be- uh, reaped all the benefits of improvement and knowledge yourself. That's the one you're talking about? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, improvement and knowledge yourself and father. If you had not moved forward, you would by this time have been left behind. Right? Yeah. So, left behind is in your class. Right? Or your artificial uh, institution called a school. Right? Yeah. So, The idea of what happens to a person, well, I'm sorry, I'm very mean and horrible over here, right? I remember I was teaching the fine arts some years ago, right? And uh, I was teaching uh, second year maybe or first year. And we had a big debate about an art artist and all that thing, right? Yeah, and I asked them, what is the difference between a person who comes to the fine arts uh, faculty and learns art and a person who does art on the road. Yeah, that's exactly what he's talking about, right? Yeah. And many people, I know an artist who says, well, that person has not gone to an art school, right? Now, there are hundreds of people who have never gone to art school and are famous artists, right? Yeah, so is this kind of art school what's promoting you, right? Yeah. And uh, what's interesting, and very, very interesting, really, is when you talk about this, right, uh, I normally, when I was teaching in North Gujarat, my aunt used to write uh, postcards to me, now of course she no more, right, and I, ha- I used to teach the MA students, and I used to ask them, can even one person write a letter like this? She's pulled out of school, she's not even an English speaker, she was a Konkani speaker, right, yeah, she's pulled out of school, she's got married, and she learns to write letters, right, And her letters are superb, right? Yeah? So what happens to that, right? So that's exactly the point that is being made, right? We have all these kinds of uh, grades, okay, first grade, second grade. You learn this, then you go up and over. Yeah? So these these are what you call artificially done, right? And we're talking about this kind of a romantic system of education, which we are also subject to. Right, so you learn one bit, then you learn a little bit more, then you learn a little bit more, and then we get ahead, right? Yeah. Now, if you get into the performing arts, right? Yeah. What happens over there? Yeah, is a person uh, who goes through a training better than a person who doesn't go through a training, right? And that's a, a debatable issue, right? Like, for instance, I've learned the guitar on my own, right? Uh, I haven't gone through any music school, right? And of course, I feel very, very deficient over there because when it comes to technique, right, when it comes to learning, right, if I had a teacher and if I had anybody to teach me, I think I would have done much better uh, and much more quickly than uh, the hard way, right? Yeah, so that's what I feel. But when you look at the world, you get a lot of musicians, right, Who who have made a name for themselves without going to music school, right? So the same happens with the artist, right? Yeah, and the question is, uh, it's not only my aunt, but uh, uh, there is a a person who I knew in Pune, right? When I was an MA student, and it was very interesting, right? This was a very well-read person, and she was uh, a Montessori-trained teacher. So she used to teach only the people from the lower the Pre-pre uh, school uh, kind of kids, right? Yeah, and she was very equipped, and she knew a lot about English literature. She knew a lot about uh, philosophy, right? She knew a lot about all that, right? So, what is this kind of schooling? At one level, it's a questioning, right? Yeah. So it actually says you go from here to there, and everybody pats you on the back, right? Yeah. And if you're not about this, right, then you would be stuck, right? And the school system would say that you're not good, right? That's okay, and that's that's why we keep pushing on. Yeah, have I answered your question, or have I uh, complicated it more? Yeah. No, sir. I just
2: understand his uh, mm. thing to the traditional view that mm. if you do not study something, yeah. mm. you are left behind. Yeah. That is the whole story, right?
0: Uh, it's not the whole story because it's a long letter. Yeah, it's not. It's not the whole story. It's not the whole story. It's a question of you would be left behind, right? And that's a problem, right? It's a problem that you're going to be left behind, right? And when it comes to learning, learning is a lot of people who are left behind learn much more than the people who don't who are not left behind, right? Yeah. So all the people who fail. Right, they perhaps learned more than the people of past. Yeah, and you will find that okay when you sometimes if you just go and talk to some people who are dropouts. Right, they've actually learned much more than the people who got the degree or they've got through a class. Right, yeah. And the question is, uh, these are artificial things. Right, and actually, Hazlitt is coming from this idea that there is something called genius right and genius can be found without training right that's the idea right that's a romantic idea right so he's he's talking about this kind of training which is artificial right and it gives you a status because you get ahead in life uh, moving from one uh, kind of system and you say that you've learned this now you move here then you okay and all our systems are artificial right yeah and the romantic system is also artificial right so that's all so otherwise you would have been left behind and uh, well some people drop out yeah and is it bad to drop out or is it not bad to drop out i don't know right because some people think that they're very great if they're dropped out right uh, and i don't think so right uh, so they think that they're great i've i've dropped out of college i've dropped out of school and many people are very proud about that right yeah so, uh, that's a question of individual uh, choice, perhaps, right? But uh, in a world, in today's world, it becomes very difficult, okay, for a person to drop out of these systems, right? For survival uh, uh, survival benefits, right? Yeah. So, that's the answer. Yes. Yeah. You want to say something? Yes. Yeah. Right. So, so, that that's, of course, a traditional bad idea that you would be left behind and all that. Yeah, so actually it's uh, this thing of saying, we all have to keep a pace of people, right? Yeah, you can't be left behind, right? Okay, and especially when you talk about children, uh, if you keep them behind, uh, they they also get into depression, right? They also maybe get an idea that I'm not competent, I'm no good, all those kind of things, right? Yeah, maybe with others, with adults, you don't have that problem. But with children you do, right? Yeah, and uh, what happens to the psyche of a child is something that's important, right? So maybe he's saying, you have to keep in step. You have to see that you get through. You have to do all these things. And that's what all the middle class parents tell us even today, right? Yeah, because we are in what you call a capitalist world, right? Okay, and that... uh, How much of time do we get to think, right? Yeah, that's a question, right? Does there's our educational system make us think right we may get the degree we may get the marks we may get all those things but do we get thinkers right like for instance there's a person who is uh, who is going on about my, my wonderful school right and he was saying that well we produce so many people and this and that and the other I asked him how many thinkers have we produced right have we produced one thinker in the 250 uh, 150 years or so of the school, of oh, 160 maybe, right? However old it is, right? Have we produced one thinker? Have we po- produced one artist, right? Who is noteworthy, right? Okay, we might have produced uh, 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 a lot of our seniors, might have been army generals and all those kind of things, and governors, yeah, one was governor, uh, yeah, all sorts of uh, nonsense like that. But do we get thinkers, right? Do we get artists, right? Do we get all those kind of people? right and how many of these schools actually do that right and of course today things are even more systematic as far as music and all is concerned you get music schools you get art schools right yeah so you get people going into all that and we uh, have to keep up with the grade no? and that's why you have an exam and the exam is telling you that you are qualified to do this much that's it right otherwise you're left behind right and you're not uh, you don't get the grade Right? So the grade is actually putting a standard onto things. Right? And that's uh, something that's new. Right? New in the the sense for even the Europeans, that's something that was new. Right? The idea of giving a grade, giving a standard. Otherwise you get, uh, you go to a tutor and you learn with the tutor. Right? Yeah? I don't know if uh, I've answered you at all. Right? Yeah. Can we go on? Yes,
2: sir.
0: Yeah. So may I
2: read? Yes, there is almost there is one almost certain drawback on a course of scholastic study that it unfits men for active life. The ideal is always at variance with the practical. The habit of fixing the attention on the imaginary and abstracted deprives the mind equally of energy and fortitude.
0: Yeah, just can we stop right. there? Yeah. So the uh, idea is he's saying there is a problem become becoming over scholastic. Right. That it... It makes people unfit for active life. Yeah. And that's something that you, s- you find even today when we talk about art students. Right. When we actually talk about the people who actually really learn. Hmm? You find them useless or you find other people thinking them useless. Right. Because uh, I think we talked about that. What is the use of Shakespeare? What is the use of studying art? What is the use of uh, studying about the great artists? What is the use of studying about the great musicians? What is the use of everything, right? So he's going and he's actually trying to give you, or he's trying to give the child a balanced kind of way of looking at the world, right? And he's actually trying to make him aware that look, there is this idea of being over scholastic, right? And when you're over scholastic, uh, that is, you're, you're studying too much. That is, you are unfit for the world, right? And uh, you get a lot of these people who are called idefics, right? Yeah, you, they get stuck with an idea and they go on uh, uh, being there, right? And you have what you call the idiot savant, right? Yeah, and of course, we don't get those people in a university, right? Which I actually was brought up in a university... Uh, and that's not very long ago, right? Where we had all these people who actually became, uh, you actually wondered what they were doing, right? They would register for an MPhil and they would be there for eight and nine years reading and reading and reading, not about the, and never completing the MPhil, right? Yeah. So they, and they were very interesting people because they used to read tremendously, right? And many of them didn't get their MPhil, many of them didn't get their PhD, right? In fact, uh, when I was talking to my guide once, he was telling me about the people who taught him philosophy. Right? And the people who taught him philosophy, uh, hes talking about one of the people who taught him philosophy and he said he didn't even finish his Ph.D. But he knew more than him. Right? Yeah? So, we are talking about that kind of category of people at one level. Right? And uh, the idea of them being unfit for the world. Right? Because you think too much. You read too much and then you find it very difficult to operate and do some ordinary kind of mercantile things, right? Like going to the market and buying things, right? That becomes difficult, right? Fixing a pin, fixing a plug, right? And I remember this uh, classmate of mine uh, who had done computer science and he was a scientist. He was in DRDO, right? And uh, a friend of ours was getting married. So he came from the Army Military Center and he stayed over with me. And I had to make three trips to the town uh, with him, right? Because we could not, he could not decide on which wedding gift to buy, right? Yeah, so that's... Uh, and at his level, yeah, doing very complicated computer stuff. Uh, I'm talking about in the 1990s, uh, 90s, right? Yeah. So, uh, and I asked him once, he wanted to make some financial investments, so he said, "Can you get me a form?" So I got him the form, etc. Right now, to fill in a form, he took so much of trouble, right? And it took so much of time, right? Yeah. But when it comes to all these very complicated computer stuff, he could do it, right? Yeah. So the idea is, uh, here when we're talking about hazard, we actually have you have a problem about what is the mind, right? That's what the uh, the Romantics are thinking about, right? And what happens? Uh, what are the different uh, facets of the mind, right? And what is the facet of imagination? And what is the facet of uh, how do you use the mind for creative pursuits, for intellectual pursuits, for common pursuits, right? Yeah? And the idea is your mind has to be able to shift from uh, the monastery to the marketplace, right? That's what we learn when we study English language teaching, right? Where we have this idea of Tom MacArthur and he says, well, there's a a, uh, monastic way of studying language, right? Because language was taught in the monasteries, right? People learned uh, the classics, or Latin and Greek, right, in the monasteries, and they didn't have any practical value, right? But uh, and the only thing that they did is a translation, right? And he is talking about teaching English, which is a modern language, right? And he is talking about how uh, in the practical world, right? You have to lie, you have to cheat, you have to do all that thing with the language to learn a language, right? Yeah, and he says I've actually done that. I've used words which are not quite uh, the words that are there in a language, just to be able to communicate and to learn the language, right? So uh, the idea, of course, is uh, again we're talking about uh, the idea of the ideal. We're talking about the idea of uh, the scholastic. And we're talking about the idea of uh, the commonplace, the real the, the real skills and all that kind of thing, right? And that's not new again, because Plato is talking about that in his Ion, right? Where Ion is the rhetor, and he knows rhetoric, what we've talked about, uh, Cicero's Oratario, right? Yeah, He knows rhetoric and all that kind of thing, that's before Cicero, right? But uh, Plato says, who knows better? Right? Does a charioter know better or, or uh, a orator know better? Right? So I might give you a fantastic rendering of the charioter's speech. But a real charioter would know what it, what it is to ride a chariot and to speak. Right? So this is going back again to the classics and to a platonic idea. Right? And many of these romantics were what you call neoplatonist in some ways. Right? Yeah. Can you go on?
2: Yes, sir. Yeah. By indulging imaginations on fictions and chimeras, chimeras, chimeras yeah. where we have it all our own way and are led on only by the pleasure of the prospect, we grow fastidious, effeminate, lapped in idle luxury, impatient of contradiction, and unable to sustain the shock of real adversity. When it comes by taken up with abstract reasoning of remote events in which we are merely passive spectators. We have no resources to provide against it, no readiness or experience for the occasion or spirit to use them even if they occur. We must think again before we determine and thus the opportunity of action is lost while we are considering the very best possible mode of gaining an object we find that it has slipped through our fingers
0: or that others have laid food speared its hands upon it. Yep, right. Just stop there because here you're actually talking about uh, the idea of remoteness from reality and we're talking about the practical world, right? So we're talking about the abstract world and the practical world, right? And the idea is both can't exist without each other, right? Because when we learn... Mathematics, we're talking about an abstraction of the real, right? Uh, like I used to tell my criticism students when I used to teach them criticism, uh, it, it was very interesting and very important that uh, we talked about, we, uh, uh, some of your psychology students I hope, right, and uh, Freud, Freud says that uh, the idea of abstraction and symbolism is something that uh, children learn at about the age of 13, right? And I would say, well, that's not even true. For me, it's not true. Because when we talk about the number system, we learn abstracts at a very, very young age. Right? Yeah? When we look at the number system and we talk about 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, right? These are abstracts. Have you all got that? Or must I make it clear? Yeah? All of us know numbers? Yes, sir. Yep. Right? Right? So when we talk of one, one is an abstraction, two is an abstraction, three is an abstraction, right? Are we convinced about that? Yeah. Can you see one? No. Can anybody see one or see two or see three, right? You can see only three bottles or three glasses or three dogs or cats or whatever that is, right? Can we see three in itself? Right, so we learn this at a very young age, right? And this is an abstraction, right? So we actually learn to think abstractly from a very young age, right? Yeah. So all the symbols and all the letters, uh, all the figures that we have, and we all the addition and the multiplication and all these th- things that we do, right, are what you call abstractions, right? Yeah. And we don't even know how complicated life is, right? Because when I was doing my MSc. I learned how 0 plus 1 gives you 1. Right? Yeah. And I had to go all the way up to the MSc, and that's what you call the first theorem of algebra, right? And we are using that. Yeah, we're using all these kinds of methods and techniques which are abstract, right? Yeah. And this is a Euclidean kind of way of operating, right? And you have to actually go to the MSc level to understand what you do, right? So actually dealing with abstracts all through, right? But when he's talking about abstract thinking, we're talking about philosophy, right? And we're talking about the idea of uh, thinking about things abstractly, right? Of course, in India today and in our universities, we don't have abstract thinkers, right? This is a great loss, right? And this is what the modern age is given, right? Maybe you do find some in some pockets of the world. Uh, in India, maybe you, you get these kind of people in Bihar, right? Because that's uh, one of the things that you might look for, right? And you might get them sp- sprinkled around cities, etc. Right? Yeah? And of course, uh, the idea of the abstract scholar is very rare to find, right? Yeah? You don't find people who are full of knowledge, who are actually uh, in their own world going absolutely crazy about a subject right even in a philosophy department right <laughs> so so that's that's really something that's worrying for me right because we need people who think abstractly right and from uh the idea of Hazlitt's world that's about 200 years ago to now right we're actually talking about uh, at that point of time and even in my day you had a lot of these people who are uh, really abstract thinkers right yeah you actually go and read and read and read and do nothing else right and uh, it's difficult to find those people now right i don't know i i have not come across anybody like that in our great grand glorious ms university which was one of the greatest universities at one point of time right yeah so we don't uh, well what he's talking about makes maybe doesn't make sense to any of us because we haven't actually encountered these kind of people Right? Yeah? Uh, maybe will even in Pune University today, uh, it seems that everything is uh, gone down. Right? And we don't get these kind of abstract thinkers and people who are totally scholars who are dedicated their work. Right? Yeah. Uh, if you were English students, you would have uh, had this thing of uh, Dr. Faustus. You can read him uh, by Christopher Marlowe. where you're actually talking about the scholar. Right? Yeah? And Doctor Faustus is one of those kind of scholars because when we are talking about the world in the Renaissance, uh, and even right up till the time when we get uh, till the 18th century, right, uh, it means that if you were given the if you are given the uh, the title of Doctor, that means you had all the knowledge in the world, right? Because the knowledge in the world was very little, right? Yeah. Now after the Enlightenment and after the uh, the idea of enlightenment knowledge going all over the world right is very hard to actually get to even your own subject to be a uh, an expert in your own subject is a problem right yeah so that's uh, the kind of shift that has taken place uh, in about 500 years right so uh, uh, this is somebody who's in the middle of it all right and he's talking about uh, moving away from the neoclassical at one level The other idea is the idea of the genius and the genius doesn't require anybody to push the genius up, right? And that's the idea, a romantic idea, that if you're a genius, your intellect will be found out, right? Of course, today, nobody would believe it, right? Because we have systems, right? And systems and systems, right? And that is uh, how we uh, and of course, you might think about that, right? Because I've had uh, encountered a lot of uh, scholars from the United States and other places in the world who don't even know anything, right? Yeah? And they're, they're regarded very highly by our people, right? Because they also write books. Yeah? And the books are read by people, etc. Right? And there, there are many people and when you actually meet them I, I met a person who was writing an Indian, in Indian writing in English or something, right? Was writing a Cambridge companion or some kind of thing and the person didn't have any understanding of what's going on in India, right, yeah. So, uh, you get people like that also. So, you get scholars in all different shapes and forms, right, Uh, that's one. And you also get the idea of the Ideafix, you get the idea of the, uh, the detached scholar, who's detached from everything, right, yeah. And many of those people can't function in a normal world, right. Because the normal world doesn't make sense to them, right? Going in the market, cooking them meals, all those kind of things don't make sense to them at all, right? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and of course, there was a giant of a man, I don't think he's alive, right? And he was a mathematician, and uh, the story goes that he used to work for seven days and sleep for seven days, right? And his neighbor, Sriram Abhyankar, who was the head of uh, Pune University a Maths department before I joined there, right? And uh, we had all these fantastic stories, right? And if you asked him about the maths department in Pune University, he would say, "Well, is there a maths department in Pune University?" Right? Yep. Of course, the good uh, the good intellectuals of uh, Pune uh, actually drove him away, right? Yep. Right. Okay. Fine. Let's go on. Sir. Yes. Yeah, yes. the of Shimeras? Uh, Shimera is a mythical Greek mythical creature, right? Do you want me to give you the, the dictionary definition? I think I should go back and visit that, right? A uh, Shimera is, uh, I don't remember which text is come, I uh, read it in one of the texts, right? The Shimera actually is this thing that you get frightened of, right? And uh, these are mythical creatures, right? Uh, you have the centaurs, you have the harpies, uh, you have the satyrs right and chimera I hope my dictionary has it yeah actually uh, somebody can also look up in their own dictionary
2: Chimis is it there? Sorry,
0: it's available in Google. I Google. Yeah, yeah. What did you get? What did you get? Yeah, what does it say? Rashimira, sorry. Yeah,
1: Mm-hmm. To create its my, mythology was a monstrous, fire-breathing mm-hmm. hybrid creature of mm-hmm. Laconia in Asia Minor, composed of parts of more than one animal. Mm-hmm. It is usually depicted as a lion with the head of a goat, yes. protruding pro, from its back, and a tail that might end with a snake's side.
0: Yes. Yeah. So yeah. So that it's just a beastly creature, right? But the whole. Lot of them, which are uh, looked at as chimeras, right? Uh, that is, you also have uh, the Harpies, right? I, I don't know whether the Harpies would not be called chimeras, but uh, do they say which text it comes in? Because you have the killing of the chimera. Yeah. Yeah. Is is that there in your uh, Google search? No, I can't even find it. What? Okay. Yeah. What does it say?
1: School, the original armsmith and gold introduced by Homer. Ha. Huh. First mention seven six zero seven
0: hmm. ten eight.
2: Yeah, this is not and even. Yeah, yeah, this is. Fire.
0: Yes, yes, yeah. The in Greek mythology, a fire-breathing female, female, right? A monster with a lion's head a goat's body and a serpent's tail, any mythical animal with parts taken from various animals. Yeah, that's the other meaning, right? So a chimera would be, a harpy would be a chimera, right? And of course the idea is, when you talk about all these people, uh, all these uh, uh, very fearful animals being given a female form, it's also kind of gynophobia, which a lot of the male writers have, right? Yeah? Uh, I, I think, uh, I was talking to somebody about a Durga painting and this uh, he was actually saying that look, this is the fear of women that you have over here, right, yeah, you have all this uh, stamping on the 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 buffalo etc., right, so you get uh, all that even in Indian art, a thing which is hoped or wished for but in fact uh, it's illusory or impossible to achieve, right. Uh, the economic sovereignty you claim to defend is a chimera, right? Yeah, so uh, that's another sense of it. Yeah, that's another meaning. So, we are talking about a mythical c- creature at one level, but chimeras is the fears that you have in your mind or the ideal that you have in your mind. That's also a chimera, it's impossible to achieve, right? And many people actually go nuts or lose their balance because they're trying. And generally and sincerely trying for a very high ideal, right? Whether it's in mathematics or it's in uh, politics or it's actual uh, philosophy, right? So that's where you're talking about the chimera, right? Uh, In biology, an organism containing a mixture of genetically different tissues formed by processes such as fusion of early embryos, uh, grafting or mutation. The, uh, the sheep-like goat chimera, right? Yeah, so we're taking the idea from mythology and we're talking about how this is uh, a formation. A DNA molecule with sequences derived from two or more different organisms formed by laboratory manipulation, right? Yeah, of course, they're talking about the coronavirus and they say it's uh, manufactured in a laboratory in China and many people say, well, that's... that's." a real great thing, but that's not even possible, right? Yeah, at least I don't believe it. Uh, a cartilaginous marine fish with a long tail and erect spine before the first dorsal fin and typically a forward projection from its snout, right? Yeah, so they've given the biological name also, right? Yeah, in particular, chimaridya, uh, yeah? Uh, see also rabbit fish, ratfish. Right, So, chimeric is the derivative. Chimerical is another derivative. Chimerically is another derivative. Origin, Late Mi- Middle English, via Latin, from Greek. Uh, chimaria. She got or chimera. So, it comes from chimaria. Chimaria. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. So, that's the... Yeah. Thanks for asking for that. And... That puts me on the ground, so I I learn more stuff, right? Okay, uh, so can we go on or do you want to stop? Whatever you want. Yeah. Sir, we have
2: only four minutes left for the to get over. It. Okay. We one continue. Minute.
0: Yes, I have to say one or two things about the idea of uh, effeminate, right? So he's talking about effeminate, right? And he says uh, the habit of fixing the att- uh, the tension on the imaginary, and abstract.